0: I'll go a little bit deeper into that. In terms of the response between stress and inflammation, there is a neuroscientist in the United States called Kevin Tracy, and he would have some Irish heritage. Good man, Kevin. He was inside in a lab and he was doing an experiment with a rash. And his whole experiment was to see if he could stimulate the vagus nerve to stop inflammation. Wow! And his colleagues was outside in the corridor thinking this is never going to happen. And apparently they were placing bets out in the corridor. It wasn't going to happen. But he showed that it was possible. That if he could stimulate the vagus nerve in the rash, he could stop inflammation in its tracks.
1: And inflammation, they say, is the root of a lot of diseases. And
0: so many different conditions. And then he transferred that to humans with rheumatoid arthritis. And he was able to show that by stimulating the vagus nerve now, he did it electronically, but we can still have some impact on the vagus nerve by changing our breathing patterns. But also with different things such as humming, gargling, massage, you know, different aspects of stimulating the vagus nerve. So it comes back to, yes, inflammation and stress go hand in hand. And this is why it's really, really important that we as human beings, that we have some bearing on when we are feeling stressed and that we're able to do something with it. So how do we stimulate the vagus nerve? Well, I'm going to just demonstrate a very simple breathing exercise. It was the one that got me into breathing 25 years ago or 24 years ago.
1: Hello and welcome to Happy Pair Podcast. Steve here. Dave here. Sarah here.
0: Hello. Hope you're doing great. Hello. Welcome.
1: Hello. Anyway,
2: go for it, Steve. You had something Okay, to say. so
1: before we get into the podcast, we just want to tell you about an amazing, incredible, phenomenal summer sale, which we have. All our online courses are 50% off. We don't do these very often. This is exceptional. This is groundbreaking it really is we're starting the 23rd of june and it goes on until the 3rd of july we've got courses on good health with gastroenterologists heart health with cardiologists we've got shape courses mind courses cooking courses baking courses they're really all designed they're all whole food plant-based you got 12 weeks great support community content yoga breath work incredible stuff the, the goal is to one provide the scientific literature as to why one should eat better live more in community and to exercise more and sleep better, to put these things into practice and community support to help you to attain these Oof. goals. Anyway, anyway, there you go. 50% off. You'll find it on our website. You won't miss it. Or else if you go into any search browser and you type in the happy pair courses, it will come up. Yes.
2: Anyway. Happy days. Woo! You're probably waiting for some profound, inspirational question from me, are you? Uh, well, that's normally what happens around right now. It is normally what happens. But actually, I was just thinking there. Uh, earlier this morning when I was sitting outside... Um, on one of our calls, um, the spider—I <laughs> don't know what I'm thinking of this—but the spider came crawling up to me, and I <sighs> went to brush it away, and a billion baby spiders came out of this spider, Ooh. and a freak—was
1: it a pregnant spider? I, I
2: don't know, but I thought spiders laid eggs. No, am I right? No idea. Okay, <laughs> they the so they carried it in a sack in.
1: So maybe it burst In the spider, and it, it
2: burst And then I didn't know where the actual original spider had gone. And I had, I kid you not, I've never seen so many miniature spiders all around me. Ooh. And we were on that call. Um, thankfully, I didn't need to speak. But like, you might have noticed, like, well, maybe you didn't, that I turned my camera off. But I was literally like freaking out, <laughs> screaming by myself, didn't really know what to do with myself. Wow, are you scared of spiders? No, not at all. But like, that was like... I mean, it's quite excessive to brush something aside, not even firmly, and outburst a billion miniature versions of that. It's like something from a horror film.
1: (laughs) Wow. It reminds me of uh, watching Indiana Jones. Remember where Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. All those like that's a proper like nineteen nineties movie. Maybe reminds 1990s. Me of Christmas. But he used to he fell in a in a pit full of snakes. Oh, like oh, and yeah. snakes are like lots of people are scared. Like if deep you scared seated of snakes? fears. Yeah, mm. maybe <laughs> maybe <telling> really. <laughs> I'm not just telling you because I'm gonna overcome this fear someday.
2: Why are you scared of snakes?
1: Don't know, I don't just, know. I just like it's not conscious. It's it's just. You Do know. you feel
2: like you've heard that, and therefore you know? No, won't. no. Definitely I woke not. up
1: and I see one of my body just freezes. You know, I kind of have this. But but no, I've held them and I've I, had yeah, them I around my neck them them and all of Things just to, to, uh, to you get know over to really it. No, you, just, just to breathe through it, like to understand, like and understand, like my breathing, how that you know responds. And to are
2: the, you with uh, spiders? Spiders, spiders? No problem. One of the
1: scariest things I saw was I don't know if anyone listening ever watched a program called V. And there was a snake there and someone was trying to kill it. And they cut it open and out came loads of millions of baby snakes. And I was just like, my whole time I was like, oh my God. So inside every snake, there's like a million little snakes. You watched oh that like God. 30 years ago. Yeah. Anyway. So that you
2: basically had what I experienced, but I've experienced it in real life. Oh. With men, Sarah, with men you're with men so, so tough. You're well, so well, incredibly I wasn't brave. I was very tough in this moment. So what, so other than spiders, what would you be scared uh, of? Heights,
1: heights, heights. And in spiders. a weird way, when I stand up on heights, I get slightly turned on and maybe that's because we who was it we were you saying? Get a boner. No, we're saying <laughs> no. no, but you just feel excited, and maybe it's because you know your your risk <gasps> is more. Your adrenaline kicks, and yeah, but you, you feel get slightly, drawn to and, it. And turn you? on not necessarily meaning sexy, but turn on just more lit up, more like. Wow, I feel well, like. it's adrenaline. It's hyper yeah. aware. It's it's survival. But you in. also
2: get drawn to jumping, don't you? That's the whole kind whole. of
1: a little bit, yeah. But do you
2: reckon like this is, um, you know, one twin rubbing off the other? Because no. like my my sister is she became scared of flying scared of spiders and like my mom was scared of all these things so I just think that she rubbed off
1: are they they yeah yeah I think no, it passed on I do and dad are, I don't know. Where are afraid of heights because I, I look at my daughters and they're more they're scared of spiders but not heights and not snakes like Elsie was asking for a pet snake oh I love a pet snake I like, oh, really? keep dreaming <laughs> <laughs> wrong dad to be ha you know I'm just so,
2: but you guys were you both down in Australia at any point no uh, yeah
1: I was there a couple of times
2: and but, how did you find knowing that there is? Oh,
1: I didn't see any. No, you know, I, we were in the middle of Melbourne. I remember, we were in West Virginia, and there was loads of snakes. You'd be walking around a corner, and there'd be a snake there, and I'd suddenly paralyze and go, Ooh, it's a snake! I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it just it's such a logical. drama. But I'm not, and it would just it would evoke this feeling in me, and that was when I was meditating like two hours a day. I was in the zone, and it was just like.
2: Oh. Um, but it's gas. You're when you think in of. Me,
1: David. I'm sorry.
2: And when you think of Ireland, because like Ireland is probably the safe. I don't. Well, the first like, thing but,
1: is a snake we have is a worm.
2: Yeah, yeah, but like <laughs> you know. I, I actually want to know what's the safest country to live probably in the world. Ireland, Ireland. Other oh, so than so like benign. obviously people in Ireland might not be that great, but like oh, they are. They, no, they're wonderful. No, but you know what I mean. I'm talking about crime or whatever, but I'm talking in terms of like typography. And like we don't get hurricanes, we don't get earthquakes. No, we're we kind of an irrelevant no bad, rock yeah, in irrelevant little rocky bit the Atlantic. No snakes. St. Patrick got rid of them. Thank you very much. We've <laughs> got on, no, no, no dangerous. We've nothing dangerous here no, no you, even the weather's metro, all right so you can you can probably like okay nowadays it can get a bit colder at winter but like it never goes below a certain degree or yeah, so you can sleep yeah. outside all year round
1: oh, oh that'd be damp and wet yeah i maybe. know
2: but like it's, you know what i mean i'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not gonna kill you yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah can we talk about the podcast now
2: well yeah, i can always tell you're trying to talk yeah, about, the podcast. I know I'm twitching
1: about it. well but it, it, it even correlates back to the topic of you were saying there about like fears And I found, like, when I am in one of those fearful situations, I do try to observe my breath because your breathing is correlated to how you feel. And you become clenched. And I think that is so related to what we're talking about now. Onto the podcast. Today's guest is an absolute legend. He's from Ireland. He's better known outside of Ireland, ironically, than Ireland. He's a world-renowned breathing expert, which might sound breathing expert. You go, what's a breathing expert? He really is. He's... Uh, we originally read, there was a world famous book um, that came out called Breathe by James breath. Nestor. Breath. breath, okay, Breath by James Nestor. But James Nestor interviewed Patrick McKeown. Patrick McKeown is one of the sources in terms of breath, breathing and breath work for the last 20 years. Absolute expert in the field. Written nine books, has trained so many people, has just, is so versed and so comfortable in this field. It's remarkable. And breathing is something that we all do subconsciously so many times a day. Approximately 25,000 times a day I think here's the best way How we breathe is how we show up in life And I think a small little micro-adjustment to how we breathe Can change how we experience life In so many different vast ways This is a fabulous podcast Patrick is a joy, a gem And just a joy of stuff. Yeah, so I really think you'll enjoy this So without further ado, we give you the wonderful Patrick McKeown Ladies and gentlemen, welcome It's wonderful to be here in person with the great Patrick McKeown yeah, yeah, We're a huge
0: fan of your work. Really. Delighted Definitely. to be here. Yeah. It's absolutely super. Great yeah. to get the tour beforehand. <laughs> so at least... I have something now we can talk about, you know, I've got the insight, so yeah, so listen to this space, folks.
1: Yeah, we were just dead in the farm and we had a, t- a tour of Pearville here where we've got all our pestos and hummuses, our food production facilities. Yeah. so it a bit of fun. And what a great
0: name, Pearville. Huh?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. well, um, well, well, you think it's a whole load of tree-lined, you know, tree-lined avenues of pear, right pear's drossing, but it's... And uh, picnics. And, but the farm is much more suitable to the word Pearville, I think.
0: Yeah, especially today with the, the weather it's pretty good and yeah. nice and scenic looking out on across the fields oh, it's a it's, yeah. uh, for, for food I was talking to, to Grania just before when I was coming up in the car and I said this is a conversation where food and breathing comes together you know those two vital functions of the human body so we should have something breathing. to talk about.
1: I like that. That's yeah, very, it's really. Well, that's our world, and yours is breathing. So, on the topic of breathing, I was trying to think on the way down, and I, I, meant to, I meant to shout it out at you, Shani. Shawnee, what do you call bicep and tricep? There's some fancy word for the muscles that they're interrelated. No. I don't know. It was a cool word that I always. I'm glad touch. I think I it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, I, I think many people think that breathing, oxygen is good and CO2 is bad. I wonder, can we first just talk about that? Because they actually are vitally, it's almost like. Two sides of the one coin, yin and yang. And I just wonder Mm. if you could talk about Mm. that briefly as an intro, as a starter into the
0: the, the meal of breath. Yeah, it's like somebody said to me a few years ago, he says, Patrick, he says, they couldn't have all got it wrong. And I said, I actually think they have got it wrong. Every medical textbook that you read, you will see a section about carbon dioxide. You will see the Bohr effect mentioned in it. You'll see the oxygen dissociation curve, especially when it has a section in respiratory physiology. But yet people who are teaching breathing don't seem to be aware of these effects. So when we breathe in oxygen, oxygen passes from the lungs into the blood. 98.5% of oxygen is carried bound by hemoglobin. So that's a protein within the red blood cells. But carbon dioxide is a factor that when carbon dioxide increases in the blood, hemoglobin releases oxygen to the tissues. And carbon dioxide also dilates your blood vessels. So when people say the more air you breathe the better that's not correct because if you breathe too much air you get rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs this in turn causes your blood vessels to constrict and this causes hemoglobin to hold on to oxygen more strongly so the more air you breathe the less oxygen that's delivered throughout the body wow. so it really turns upside down what's been taught often in breathing and this was like, I came across this by purely by accident. I always had cold hands and cold feet, always. And if I was, a look, if I was lucky enough to get, into, get a female into bed, she'd be gone by morning. First of all, because I was snoring all night long and stopping breathing. But secondly, because my hands and feet were always cold. So in terms of, I came across it in a newspaper article and it spoke about breathing light, breathing lightly or breathing less air and breathing in and out through the nose. I practiced it and I could feel the temperature of my fingers increasing within about two to three minutes. And whenever we give a talk and we have people do the exercise, the vast majority of people can experience increased watery saliva in the mouth, improve temperature of their fingers within a very short period of time. And that's the power of the breath. We have 50,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. We can influence our blood circulation by the volume of air that we breathe.
1: 50,000 miles. When you yes. say that, my head's trying to go, 50,000, okay, five, zero, zero, and zero, that's, zero, miles. And, I mean, that's and, and, also in that, and also in that you were saying, and I've heard you say this, that we breathe something like 25,000 times a day. So we breathe a hell of a lot. Yes. And oxygen is our primary fuel source. Like people think, oh, wh- where do I get energy from? And they might think, oh, it's food, it's carbohydrates, it's whatever. But oxygen is our primary fuel source. We breathe 25,000 times a day. So Approx- if people, approximately, uh, I'm not going to count, but, um, like, in terms of optimizing, most people are looking for a hack to get healthier, to get more energy, to feel better. And breathing really is, like, something that most of us do so subconsciously every single day. And it's something we're never taught. You don't suddenly in school or PE no. go, now, lads, today we're going to do a class on how to breathe. It's assumed. It's like a fish are assumed to swim, but humans... Whatever way we. Well, my question with this is so, what are some of the basics? What are some of the fundamentals here now in terms of breathing and becoming a better breather?
0: The first fundamental is in and out through the nose. I was a chronic mouth breather. If you breathe through your mouth, you're more likely to be breathing faster. You're more likely to breathe using the upper chest. Upper chest breathing and faster breathing, your body is telling the brain that the body is under trash. So, that puts you into that increased stress response. And chronic stress then can contribute to inflammation. So your breathing, by changing your breathing, you can change your physiology. But if we have a poor breathing pattern, it can negatively affect your physiology. And it's very easy to assess breathing. Okay, breathing itself can be complex in terms of it's multidimensional. So it's not just about the biomechanics. It's not just about whether you're using your diaphragm correctly. It's also about the biochemistry. And it's about the effect of psychology and the physiology and how one is playing off the other. So normally researchers look at breathing from three different dimensions. But the first thing that I would say to anybody when it comes to breathing is the importance of breathing in and out through the nose, both during rest, during physical exercise. Now, I'm not saying do a sprint with your mouth closed, but if you're jogging, if you're doing low to moderate physical exercise with the mouth closed, sorry, if you're doing low to moderate physical exercise, do it with your mouth closed and sleep. We should never wake up at a dry mouth in the morning. Now, I would say that 50% of the people who are listening are waking up at a dry mouth in the morning. They're more likely to snore. They're more likely to have stopping of the breath, called sleep apnea. They're more likely to have insomnia, disrupted sleep. They're more likely to get up to go to the bathroom during the middle of the night. And even the simple thing of having to get up to go to the bathroom during the middle of the night, your sleep has been disrupted. Now, the implications of this for children is even more than for adults. So there was a study by Karen Barnock that was published in the journal Pediatrics in 2012. She looked at 11,000 British school children in a a town called Stratford-upon-Avon. And she looked at them over 57 months. She concluded that children with sleep disorders at age five, if untreated, they had a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. Wow. The baby's brain is developing during slow-wave sleep. And if that baby's sleep is disrupted, that will affect the development of the brain. Now, this is published in the literature. So that's children. Adults, we know the link between poor sleep, sleep disorders and mental health. Anybody who was coming in through my door and they're coming in with depression, they're coming in with anxiety, they're coming in with panic disorder. We can't just look at their breathing, but we also have to look at their sleep because we have to consider that the human being is not separate functions. There is a bi-directional relationship between each and that's the one thing that, you know, that has often been overlooked. But I started taping my own mouth closed in 1998. The first morning I woke She's up. you're way ahead of the curve. I was way ahead. Like I was 25 one of, years yeah, I was, ahead of the curve. I started three I was, years ago and I thought I was kind of ahead of the curve. <laughs> no, I was one of those. Well, I had issues, you know, I came out of a university with a degree I never even used. I completely switched direction then. And I started because, and it was fundamentally because of the impact it had on my own health. Even will you tell, like, because I
1: know your story is so relevant because I'm sure people listening are going, okay. I'd say most people are suddenly going closing their mouth their- and <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people really more. But your your story of asthma and your journey with that because that's really at the root of what got you into. Yes, you know what you've what you've spent your career doing really
0: just by accident, and I, you know I was so fortunate that I found a job that I absolutely love to do, and. There's something about that because when you're in a space that really suits your skill set, but I found it like pure accident, you know, and yeah, it was, it was really the difference that breathing exercises made to my health. And I'm going to say that not all breathing exercises are the same. It's really important that if anybody is practicing breathing exercises, know what the breathing exercises are doing. There's a way if you want to downregulate, you can do that. I can go through that with you. There's also a way to upregulate. So there's times when we are stressed how do you down regulate? How and, do you change and your physiology means to
1: kind of slow down and calm down, down everything? Down, the yes, headache, yes.
0: Exactly. And this, the science over this over the last thirty years is that the vagus nerve, which is wandering throughout the human body, innervating most of the major organs, if not all of them, that eighty to ninety percent of the communication by the vagus nerve is from the body up to the brain. And by changing our breathing patterns, we can stimulate the vagus nerve which secretes a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which causes the heart rate to slow down. And when the heart rate slows down, the brain interprets that the body is safe. Now, how many people, youngsters going in to do exams, people going in to do a public talk, stressful situations that they come across and they respond to the stressful situation with hyperventilation. They respond with faster breathing. They respond with harder breathing. They respond with mouth breathing, with irregular breathing patterns. What is that telling the brain, it's telling the brain that the body is under threat. And all the brain wants to do is get you out of that situation, you're going into the fight or flight response. How many people their performance has been sabotaged not by their ability, but by their lack of knowledge when it came to changing their physiology. And even if it's just making a public speech, you there's a time there that you want to be able to downregulate, that you can activate the body's relaxation response but then going out to give your talk that you can upregulate. Mm-hmm. And the one thing about the breath is just it's not just about paying attention to breathing. It's not just about doing breathing exercises that you hear in a yoga studio. It goes way beyond that. And I think one thing that has held breathing back is because it has been taught so incorrectly for decades. Now, I'm not going to make the claim that I know all the answers, but what I have seen over the last 20 years needs to get out there. That breathing is more than just this focus on the diaphragm. It's much more than that. So, so
1: it's okay. So the basics are: uh, your nose is for breathing, your mouth yes. is for eating. So breathe through your nose. Yes. Sleep super important. So for anyone who's kind of like it, it can dramatically improve the quality of your sleep. If you're waking up with a dry mouth, you're probably breathing through your mouth. And as you said, 1998, you started taping your mouth. And for anyone who's listening and kind of going, taping your mouth, is Is that that like some sort of kinky bondage thing? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which (laughs) which is naturally what most people think. But it's like, I, 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 it was a friend who he, his dad had asthma, and he was saying that the, whatever asthma society he was in, they recommended taping his mouth. And I went and got a a bunch, a, a roll of nitric oxide tape and just put a strip of that every night over mm-hmm. my mouth and like I know um, what's his name uh, James Nestor says just to put a little bit on but I found I had to put like strip
0: like I had to go full on hostage mm-hmm. mode. <laughs> <Your> mouth,
1: <laughs> and, and, and I've been doing that for a few years and it really does mm-hmm. make a difference I yeah. think I believe oh, but it.
0: even your dental health like you yeah. know and dentists will know about this if you were to go into your dentist next week and you ask your dentist do the patients who walk in with their mouth open and persistently breathe through an open mouth do they have worse dental health than nose breathers And the dentist, if the dentist is observant at all, the dentist will say yes, because saliva is a natural anti-plaque agent. And if we have the mouth open, and if we are breathing through it, the mouth is dry. And this is influencing pH in the mouth. Bacteria is more rampant. Gum disease is more rampant. Dental cavities is more rampant. And even during childhood, the child who has the mouth open because of their tongue not resting in the roof of the mouth, it causes abnormal development to the face and also to the airway, so the child with the mouth open will have a face like me. The maxilla, which is the top jaw, is too set back. The mandible is too set back. The airway is compromised. The nose is crooked, and there's a deviated septum. And these are the facial features that are common with children who persistently mouthbreed. And I was in Denmark when was it? About ten days ago. And sometimes you're you're in a restaurant, and you're just standing in the queue, and you see a lovely looking kid that has the potential to have a beautiful face. And I think this kid was about 15 or 16 and she was there with the mouth open and the chin was set back. I was saying this could have been avoided. You know, this is the information that we need healthcare professionals to be talking about because the reality is they are not trained in breathing. They know very little about breathing and they don't even emphasize the importance of breathing to the nose. And I'm going to come full circle on that. Your mouth There's absolutely nothing when it comes to breathing. There is no function of the mouth that plays any role in terms of improving the airflow, moistening and humidifying and regulating volume and harnessing nasal nitric oxide. Mouth breathing is a stress response. We have to come back to that. But it's not just about keeping your mouth closed either. You know, you can improve your breathing patterns as well.
1: Jesus. Cause like the more I learn about it, it's more how we breathe is how we feel. Like, it's like how we breathe is how we show up in life and how we experience life. And it's almost like breathing is like sleep. We often used to think that sleep was one of the pillars of health, but sleep is like one of the foundations. Cause if you don't have sleep, right, you're going to eat poorly. Your relationships are probably going to be worse. You're not less likely to exercise. And it seems like breathing is as fundamental as sleep, that it, it literally affects everything. And when you talk about breathing, It it is the ability to affect our anxiety or or our lack of anxiety. It can actually change our bone structure. Because I think I heard you talk about how because of our diet changing, our actual, our mouth structure has shrunk. And as a result, it has blocked our airways to our nasal passage. We think you're can limit in that one. No, I'll no, no, let no, Patrick no, talk about it, something around this, i let you talk. It, this You'll...
0: is when people, when you start talking about this, people are just looking at you, wondering what the hell is going on here. You know, the, the shape of the human face has changed in the last 100 years. And what's worse, it's getting worse generation to generation. One of the first, probable, probab- probably the first, or one of the first books on nutrition was written by a dentist called Dr. Weston Price. It's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. It was written and published, I think, in 1938. He did groundbreaking work and he went to different civilizations. He went to Maoris and he went to Eskimos. He went to Swiss people, Gaelic people living off the Hebrides Islands. And he asked, what happens when these civilizations change from their traditional diet over to the Western processed diet? Children became mouthbreeders, and it happened in one generation. But not only did children become mouth breeders, children started having crooked teeth. You know, we as a species shouldn't have overcrowding of teeth. The animal world, there isn't overcrowding of teeth. If you walk into a classroom today, I'd say 75% of the kids in there will require braces. That's not just saying that the teeth are overcrowded. The problem there is that the jaw is too small. So now because of poor nutrition mouth breathing associated with that and we don't know what came first poor, we don't always know and that by poor
1: nutrition you kind of mean that like chewing like you know the way this i way think that's definitely
0: a factor they're, but they're also
1: like, that like you know the way you lift muscle you lift weights to build muscles and yes. chewing is almost like mouth muscles like by chewing on fiber as in like raw carrots or that type of thing
0: that's certainly a factor now you can even go one step further and this would be saved to the importance of breastfeeding because breastfeeding is not just about nutrition but breastfeeding is for the manipulation of the muscles of the face that are necessary for the growth of the face. So for a baby, for example, to take the milk from the mother, the baby has to do a certain amount of work. So already the muscle building is happening with young infancy. Now, there's so much pressure on mothers to get back into the workforce. You know, we see that Very few families can have a mother at home here in Ireland, for example. Mm. So there's a lot of societal pressure on mothers to get back in, to be paying money, to be paying mortgages, etc. And a bottle then is introduced. But the baby can just take the milk from the bottle. Even if it's breast milk in the bottle, the baby still isn't getting the adequate growth or development of the face as a result of that. Now, then there's a whole wave in terms of baby-led weaning. And I think it was um, Jill Ripley, I think, She wrote a book on it and she spoke about her ancestors that, you know, if you go into a supermarket, everything for kids is pureed. It's so soft and it's not giving children, young children, the ability to exercise and develop their jaws. So Jill Rapley coined the phrase baby led weaning. And then there's Professor John Mew in the UK and his son, Dr. Mike Mew, both orthodontists for the past 50 years They have been talking about the importance of nose breathing and correct tongue resting posture, but correct chewing for the development of the face. And it comes back to this if you want to have a really well proportioned face, and it's not just about having a good looking face, but it's having a functional face, because the face that grows longer and narrower with overcrowding of teeth and setback of the jaws, the problem there is that the airway is compromised. Well, breathing is the most vital function. And we know that because how soon does the organism perish when you switch it off? And with breathing, we can only last for just a few minutes. The airway in the human being is getting smaller. And if you look at the work of Dr. Kevin Boyd, um, James Nestor, of course, did some research on this. We've been talking about it for the last 10, 15 years. And it's really vitally important. And this is where breathing goes way beyond breathing. This is going, and I could even say that we are dependent on survival of the species. We are now getting it wrong. And we're going backwards instead of forwards. Wow, I like that. That's Sheesh.
1: good, That's good mm. linkage there now.
0: I like that. So we're going back
1: into human ancestry and development. So to, to, like, to have better bone structure that will not compromise our nasal passageway, meaning we can breathe better. So theoretically, we can get more oxygen and feel better. It'd be to obviously... Ideally, breastfeed where possible. Encourage kids to do baby-led weaning. I know we were there yesterday when our brother Dara and Fionn's, Fionn's maybe 11 months, and he was there just horsing it. Like, they're wonderful in that they put food in his plate and they literally let him feed himself and take what he wants. And for most parents, it's like nightmare. Oh my God, the mess like he makes and any kid doing this makes. But it's remarkable. He's outside making a mess, running around, horsing it into feeding the dog. It was wild. But it was also, it looked very... Like mammal-like, it was less like kind of this perfect little modern-day society. It was more like in his little mammal brain. It was beautiful to see. But But, but even I think of hmm. us too. Like I had, I had to get six teeth taken out when I was fourteen, and had to braces. And you didn't have to. I I have a lot of teeth. Yeah, they don't have enough space. so, So it's and my face is thinner than Steve's. So I wonder, was I a mouth breather? And you were or more of a mate breeder than you were. So, like it's very interesting. And in this is another
0: interesting because you're you're identical, identical twins. twins yeah. So yeah. So this is where this is epigenetics. Yeah. So in terms of even though the genes are identical, something was slightly different in the environment. And I would say to you, even if your teeth are overcrowded, don't get extractions. Go to a dentist or an orthodontist who will gently expand the mouth. It's expand not that expand the mouth. Yes, okay. Is, yes. is,
1: and that was, that was something else in, in James Nestor's book. I'm only referencing him because I, I kind of read it where he was talking about expanding your palate and expanding yes. your mouth so that your teeth don't, which I've never heard of that. Like, you know, and I'm sure lots of people listening will not have really been exposed to what you've been talking about the last 10 minutes. So there's
0: two schools of thought. You've got your traditional orthodontist who has gone to university in the big universities. And often the belief there is with, with overcrowding of teeth, the teeth are too big. And that's the problem. So let's remove teeth. Then you've got another school of thought that are saying when children have crooked teeth, the problem is not that the teeth are too big. The problem is that the jaw is too small.
2: Mm.
0: Let's develop the jaw. So my journey on this, because I had overcrowding of teeth and probably the best, my parents wouldn't have been able to afford orthodontics. So I didn't get my orthodontic treatment done until I was 37 years of age, 10 years ago. Wow. I traveled to,
1: looking good, Patrick. Uh, Very yeah, nice. After thirty seven years. But...
0: <laughs> I traveled to California and I went over every time I had an orthodontic appointment, I travelled all the way to Los Angeles. To California. Yes, yes. Is this because you wanted the Beverly Hills smile? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was no, absolutely. Come on. It was absolutely not nothing got to do with aesthetics, but there was one man that I really wanted if he was going to do my orthodontic treatment, it was either Dr. John Mew or it was Dr. Bill Hang. Now, I would have been traveling anyway over to California. And sometimes I did specific trips just to get the orthodontic appointment. His whole premise is, again, we need to expand the jaws to make room for the teeth. And that's what I underwent. Now, palate expansion is relatively common as well. But I think the days of extraction, I hope and is they're your whole, behind like, us. bone
1: structure almost changed, No, it's yeah. a simple
0: device you put in and you, there's a little screw. And it's did about it just gently. Yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit tight.
1: And did you actually notice, like, say, if you saw a photo between you a year apart, well, could you actually see your yes. facial
0: structure? No question. You can even, like, your your orthodontist will measure it. And they're able to measure the width of your maxilla. So there's the a very good test. The top of your... The top, top jaw. So top if they're measuring, for example, from the back teeth to the back, you know, one side to the other, mm-hmm. what's the width of your arch? But a very good test to find out if your jaws are an adequate size for your face to smile, you shouldn't see black triangles. Mm. So if you see like, black triangles... Oh, you got
1: huge triangles.
0: And the other thing is, you <laughs> should be able to see quite a number of teeth. So somebody with a very narrow jaw, when they smile, if you look at, you count the number of teeth, it may be only five or six teeth. A very good example is go into Google and look at Prince William mm. and Princess Kate Middleton. You'll see a photograph of the two side by side. Count how many teeth, when when William is smiling, how many teeth can you see? Because he's got a very narrow jaw structure. He's got black triangles either side. The chances are he went to an orthodontist. He had teeth removed, made his jaw smaller. But you don't want your jaw smaller because that's going to compromise the airway. So even Prince William can get bad advice. Kate Middleton, she is a beautiful looking woman. So he chose well. But we choose our partners not just on looks, but it's about survival of the species. Of course. She has a beautiful face, and I guarantee you she would have a tremendous airway. She has she is not having sleep apnea. I
1: love that. In the old days, it would be like, how many acres do you have? And it's like, how big's your airway, love? You well, <laughs> we crazy. we always choose our partners though, based <laughs> it some itself, degree on really looks. It's but it's the looks
0: is only a part of it. Yeah. Because a good looking person normally has adequate development of the face and a good airway if you look at sports stars okay there's a few exceptions there's a few people who aren't quite good looking but in the main people who reach a very high level in sports the males have really these strong jaws forward growth of the jaws wide facial structures when they smile you would see wide arches they will have a tremendous airway I could never be a sports star because I don't have the airway to reach those heights. You could now, make sense? now since going to California, it's a bit, comeback time. I'm Patrick. a bit old in the tooth now, so <laughs> I <am>. I'm. I got a pass in on that one.
1: Pretty amazing, though. That's She's phenomenal a, to hear. Yeah. So it's like a different means of orthodontistry expanding expanding to expand the palate, so that we don't have a compromised airway, so that we can get more oxygen, so that we can, in essence, have more energy and sleep better.
0: Yeah, But better. it's not just about better. the width, It's also about the forward growth. Now, if we have children who have their mouth closed with the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, the tongue is like scaffolding for the top jaws. So when the child has the mouth closed, three quarters of their tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, the tongue, with the pressures exerted by the tongue, because the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body for its size. And the tongue can exert a pressure, I think, of about 500 grams. It only takes 1.7 grams to move a tooth, to move teeth. So if, for example, you do orthodontics and you have a light wire appliance, it's very easy to move teeth. It doesn't take much pressure. Gentle pressure applied over time will move your teeth. But if your tongue is in the ideal position, it's your tongue that helps to develop the shape of the maxilla. So the shape of the maxilla is the shape of your tongue, and with your tongue and the roof of the mouth, the tongue is driving the growth of the face forward. So the maxilla and the tip of the chin should nearly be to the point of the nose then you know that the airway is good because this airway here, a good airway is the size of your thumb and a poor airway might be the size of the cable. And very narrow. Make,
1: so so they it's like it's when you're at a slide. You're doing make... pretty
0: all right, the two of you, okay, by the we're way. Doing all right. thanks, yes. thanks a million, Patrick. I'm going to say that typically I don't compliment on how men look. It's so much easier for me to say to a female, but <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you're doing all right, lads. Ah, <laughs> yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and well, if one of us was doing better, which one would be doing better. <laughs> very I, couldn't help. I love this. This is fascinating. Patrick, I wonder if we talk about asthma because it's something that's quite prolific and it's as like, I, I know very little about it, but it's often linked to stress and it can be linked to adrenaline and it can be linked to many different things. And, you and it's very true, childhood based. Yeah, you you found through your experience that breath had a massive mm. impact. And I wonder if you could talk about that, because many people listening, I'm sure, have know someone or have know someone that has experienced
0: themselves. Them. It's a really common condition in Ireland. I think we have the fourth highest incidence in the world. Is damp. it because of the damp? It would be a factor. It would definitely, it'd be a factor in terms of triggering it. Um, but overall, you know, I do, sometimes I wonder about asthma. Have we overcomplicated? And I'm going to give you just this example. The Ukrainian doctor Konstantin Buteyko, said that people with asthma, they shouldn't be breathing in and out through the mouth. Okay, that makes sense. If you breathe through your nose, your nose and your nasal cavity and the paranasal sinuses produce a gas called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide was first discovered from the exhale breath of the human being in 1991. Nitric oxide is antiviral. It's antibacterial. It helps open up the airways, the bronchioles, so that gas exchange can take place. It also helps to open up the blood vessels in the lungs. It's known since 1988 by a researcher called Swift. And this has been written about by an ear, nose and throat doctor called Dr. James Barkley from New Zealand. That when individuals switch from mouth to nose breathing and continuously breathe through their nose the pressure of oxygen in the blood increases by 10%. That's the PO2 in millimeters of mercury. Now, many asthma, people with asthma and kids with asthma persistently mouth breathe because the inflammation of the lungs travels up to the nose. So when we think of a normal airway, now, if you think of we take air into ideally into the nose and that air is going to pass down the throat and the trachea, the bronchi, and there's 23 branches of airways getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And these airways then run into small little air sacs called alveoli. And I think there's about 500 million small air sacs in the lungs. The problem with asthma is that the pipes narrow. So it makes breathing more difficult. And that's because of inflammation. It can be triggered. Inflammation is definitely a part of it. There's also smooth muscle in the airway, which constricts. And there's also some people will have increased secretion of mucus. So basically the pipes. So in order for the air, the oxygen to go from our nose into the blood... But some of the pipes are getting blocked and asthma is reversible. Now, if you have your mouth closed, your nose is going to moisten the incoming air and warm the incoming air. There's less of a likelihood of the airways constricting. So nose breathing alone will improve gas exchange. Um, It will improve oxygen delivery from the, the lungs into the blood. It will also help to protect the airways in terms of keeping them more open because of nitric oxide, because of warming, because of moisture. Compare this to mouth breathing. Now, many people with asthma and children are mouth breathing. The reason being is because their nose is stuffy. Because it's not just that we have an upper airway and a lower airway. It's one airway. Whatever happens in the lungs will travel up to the nose and vice versa. And this is recognized since 2007. So people with asthma invariably are more likely to have a stuffy nose. As a result, then, they don't feel comfortable breathing through the nose, so they breathe through the open mouth. They take cold, unfiltered, dry air straight into their lungs, and it feeds into their bronchospasm. Now, I was 20 years with asthma in this country. I was hospitalized in Connolly Hospital. I was hospitalized three times. I had a nose operation in 1994 to help me breathe easier through the nose. Nobody told me to breathe through my nose. And even after the nasal surgery, I continued my breathing. 95, 96, 97, 98, until I read about it in either the news. And it was either in the Irish Times or the Irish Independent. I can't actually remember which, which paper mm-hmm. I read it in. But I remember reading this article and I, I came across it then a second time. So it wasn't just, it took me a little bit as well to kind of get the, 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 the real reasoning behind this. And I was a guy that was caught for breath. I had air hunger. I would have regular breathing. My pulse rate was quite high. My concentration was terrible. I left school at 14 years of age, never to go back. And I left school out of a total frustration with the education system. I was the kid that was going into school, sitting in class, not able to pay attention to the teacher. Now, I went to a school called St. Declan's in Cabra. So I'm sure plenty of people know about it. I wasn't going to leave school to be a waster. I wanted to have my own retail shop and I was working as a trainee shop manager. Now, the shop then was sold. This was a shop in Lomboyen. And then I went back to school because I had no other choice. So I went back to school and I said, I'm going to get the points. And I said, I set one, only one university I wanted to get into. And that was TCD. And I worked my butt off because when you have poor concentration and poor sleep, you need drive and determination to get there. Most kids are not going to do that. I did it out of a sense of, I don't know, not frustration, but want. I always wanted to have financial stability. That was always a goal of mine, not to be a millionaire or anything like that, but just to have no stress over money. That was my goal. And here's my point. When you have asthma, you don't just have asthma. You're also more likely to have poor sleep. And in the literature, as asthma severity increases, so does sleep disorder breathing. This is where concentration, focus, attention span, mood, and stress levels change. So people with asthma, especially if their asthma is out of control, as I said, it's not just a problem related to the lungs. Now, the frustrating part about this is nobody wants to know. And I will say that, that the authorities do not want to know about the importance of nose breathing when it comes to asthma. I've been involved with (coughs) 20, there has been 20 clinical trials. I've been involved with about five of those clinical trials. Even some clinical trials, they used my book, which is about 10 euro called Close Your Mouth. I wrote it back in 2004. Close Your Mouth. Yes.
1: I love the name. Straight to the
0: point. And even that, by just by individuals reading the book and applying it from the book, they got results. Now, you think that our healthcare system should be all about the person and should be about giving these kids and especially the children and the adults tools to help themselves. And it hasn't happened. There has been a total resistance about the importance of breathing, even though the trials are there. No interest.
1: And is this the likes of like the asthma? I, I, don't, I don't have asthma, so I don't know what the societies are. But I'd imagine there's, you know, asthma society of mm. Ireland or Ast- asthmatic society or whatnot. And yes. even because the, the, I was surprised that when I was taking my mouth, his dad had asthma and someone had told him. I don't know where it was from, but it was that's mm. what got me into it.
0: I was lucky. You know, I started off in 2002 and uh, contacted the Galway Advertiser because I'm based out in my Cullen. And they wrote a story. Okay, I was over in Russia. I was trained with this Ukrainian doctor. I have to emphasize Ukrainian now, um, as opposed to Russian. And again, our business has gone slightly that way too, with what's happening, unfortunately. They got me my first, that article got me my first three clients. And that's where it started. And these were asthmatic. These were people with asthma. And then it was true, primarily through word of mouth. And there was a journalist then called Kevin Murphy he was a writer for the Irish Independent and he had asthma. He sat in the class and he came back and he wrote a full page story in the, the Irish Independent of
1: nose breathing to for his asthma health. Symptoms.
0: And it's not just about nose breathing. We also practice breath-told exercise to open up the nose, help open up the lungs. And he wrote an article about it. So this was very much driven then by the media. And I was working primarily with people with asthma. And then um, I started looking at the whole connection, the, the science behind breathing and our sleep patterns so that I was start going down through that route economically ireland was not doing well 2010 i started giving these short courses around the country 3000 people attended for anxiety and panic disorder 95% were women men weren't turning up at all and this these are the kind of the journey that i've had over 20 years so now about asthma is about 30% but you know breathing now i suppose for me it's the health aspect is about 50% of the work we do and then 50% then is high performance. Like, I'll give you one example. Recently enough, I was working with snipers. And I was brought... Snipers as in people who shoot people. For well, yeah, they they're are. They're
1: like, they're, 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 they're highly skilled. They're
0: highly skilled, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I know and I, I, mentioned that that it to, is... I mentioned it to somebody who said they, that's hardly spiritual. Well, I was only thinking to myself, yeah, it is hardly spiritual. But at the same time, if I was a hostage in the cafe, I would love to have a sniper outside. So I'm talking about snipers in the police forces and it's not, it's a police force here in Europe. Yeah. I was brought in to show how to breed while they were pulling the trigger of a gun. And I was brought back twice. So it wasn't just the first time just saying, okay, it's a load of nonsense. No, no. Train their guys and then come back and did another group training with another this is the, how physiology in training changes. as them to
1: how to down-regulate. So you can just be to, totally focused on when to pull down. the triggers. That's, so so yes. slow down, to slow down the parasympathetic nervous system. So, so the autonomic nervous system is calm and tranquil and they can just feel good and then go... Pew!
0: Pretty much, because when you're pulling the trigger of a gun...
1: And that's a metaphor for life, really, in terms of to be able to do whatever
0: anyone's doing. This is this, that, what I'm using. Yeah. This as an example yeah. of the, how you can downregulate. So you can imagine an individual on a very hot day. Their heart rate is going to be elevated. There's a situation, as there's a stress response. Their breathing is faster and their heart rate is elevated. The time to pull the trigger is in between your heartbeats. But if your heart rate is beating at about 140 beats per minute, you don't have much of a time between heartbeats. So what we want to do is we want to show how to slow down the speed of the heartbeat by changing breathing. It's all in the exhalation. It's not in the inhalation. So when we breathe in, the vagus nerve steps back. So it's almost that the foot has taken off the brake pedal. The exhalation is when the foot is put on the brake. So if you breathe out fast your body is telling the brain that the body is under threat. And even if there's a situation, no matter if it's in the family home, if it's in the corporate world, no matter where you are, anytime you get into a difficult situation, think of your exhalation. Don't breathe out fast. Don't breathe upper chest if you can help it. Don't mouth breathe because that's activating the fight or flight response. So coming back to the snipers, they're lying down, they're taking a soft breath in through the nose, and they're having a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And the time to pull the trigger is towards the bottom of the exhalation because this is when the vagus nerve has kicked in, acetylcholine is secreted, the heart rate is slowing down, the timing between heartbeats is increased and you pull the trigger in between the timing of the heartbeat. Now what? that law, that's just a normal physiological response. Now I can say that even if I never taught breathing to anybody, the very benefit of being able to change your states in a difficult situation is a tremendous tool we have. We all have it, but very few people know about it. And -hmm. I think of all of those kids that come out of universities and are going into stressful environments. They're going into, and there's a lot of pressure on them. And I was in that corporate world originally, because that's where I was before I changed careers. I couldn't handle it. And you know, it's not just that the corporation is at fault. It's not that the corporation is at fault. My physiology was at fault. My physiology wasn't up to handle with the pressure that's required Almost like in a modern society. Com- your resilience and was compromised. That's exactly Due to your breathing. That's exactly and, it. And,
1: and for anyone listening, so like what I hear is that like we can all control how we feel and we experience stressful, challenging things through life. And that our breath is our ability to make us more resilient and one of the keys that i heard is in the exhale and if we mouth breathe our exhale is going to be a lot shorter whereas if we if we nasal breathe the reason why when we exhale it's more it's harder to get it out yes so it has to be a longer exhale yes and, and it's when we have a lot and am more just saying this just so that you'll say if i'm right or wrong if i want to kind of relax down just that more um kind of calm safe state into my parasitic parasympathetic state it's having a long exhale and that's that's the down regulation
0: yes so ultimately it's about having a really soft and gentle and prolonged exhalation because when we have a soft and gentle and prolonged exhalation the body is telling the brain that everything is okay we have to think that our breathing and our stress levels are almost hardwired throughout our evolution and human beings we're pretty good at coping with short-term stressors We've had hundreds of thousands of years of short-term stressors. This is the whole fight or flight mechanism. We are not good at coping with long-term stress. Long-term stress causes people to get sick. That's the reality of it. So it's that ability. Now, I would say to improve resilience on two levels. Very often people who are not well, either mentally or physically, they're already in that increased stress response. So they're in that increased sympathetic drive and they've got reduced parasympathetic tone. And the word is resilience, because if you were to measure heart rate variability, they will have reduced heart rate variability for that person. We use breathing exercises and nose breathing and sleep with good breathing and sleep and breathing go together. If you have your mouth open, you're more likely to have a stress response during sleep as opposed to recovery. Long term, we want to bring that person into balance in the autonomic nervous system because in balance, then it's about resilience. This is our ability to cope with a stressful situation. This is our ability to run after a bus. This is our ability to adapt to the changing needs of the environment that our body adapts to that, but we recover very quickly. That's resilient. Whereas if you have an individual that the autonomic nervous system is very much in that stress response, they don't have a good coping mechanism. So long-term, what I want to do is, and regardless of the individual, I wrote a book and I was looking at even conditions that I never associated that there was a link with breathing. Diabetes type 1, for example, diabetes type 2, epilepsy, Um, chronic fatigue syndrome. These are conditions that you will think, how on earth is breathing going to play a role? Well, these individuals are in an increased stress response, but the body is not setting up the ideal grounds for recovery. Mm. How can we help a disease if we're in a stress response? Because ultimately, to help even to improve that condition, we have to set up the ideal foundation. And the ideal foundation is when the autonomic nervous system is more in balance. And autonomic means automatic. Correct. And what yes. and,
1: and so what I'm getting from that is that uh, like healing and restoration and homeostasis happens when we're in balance, which is really true nasal breathing and not being in this stressful and have, situation having, and breathing a long through the middle. Like, <laughs> am I correct in saying that? so uh, say i walk traditionally i walk out of my cave i see a saber-toothed tiger my body my primary fuel source is oxygen so i start hyperventilating and my body starts shutting down energy to various interesting i don't need to reproduce right now no energy goes there don't need to digest i just need to get the hell away from this tiger for this short burst but with long-term exposure to stress what happens is that it can lead to inflate in inflammation and the main way to deal with it is First of all, to be aware of our stress is that our breathing is faster. It's hyperventilating. And, and the way to bring it down higher. to this more parasympathetic state is to have a longer exhale and to kind of just do a few breaths with a lot Well,
0: I'll go a little bit deeper into that. In terms of the response between stress and inflammation, there's a neuroscientist in the United States called Kevin Tracy, and he would have some Irish heritage. Good man, Kevin. He was inside in a lab and he was doing an experiment with a rat. And his whole experiment was to see if he could stimulate the vagus nerve to stop inflammation. And his colleagues was outside in the corridor thinking this is never going to happen. And apparently they were placing bets out in the corridor. It wasn't going to happen. But he showed that it was possible. That if he could stimulate the vagus nerve in the rash, he could stop inflammation in its tracks.
1: And inflammation, they say, is the root of a lot of diseases. And
0: so many different conditions. And then he transferred that to humans with rheumatoid arthritis. And he was able to show that by stimulating the vagus nerve now, he did it electronically, but we can still have some impact on the vagus nerve by changing our breathing patterns, but also with different things such as humming, gargling, massage, you know, different aspects of stimulating the vagus nerve. So it comes back to, yes, inflammation and stress go hand in hand. And this is why it's really, really important that we as human beings, that we have some bearing on when we are feeling stressed and that we're able to do something with it. So how do we stimulate the vagus nerve? Well, I'm going to just demonstrate a very simple breathing exercise. It was the one that got me into breathing 25 years ago or 24 years ago. Great. I had one hand on my chest. I had one hand just above my navel. Great. Copy your taking, Great. Taking attention out of my mind onto my breathing. So you're feeling the slightly colder air coming into your nose and you're feeling the slightly warmer air leaving your nose. The whole objective here is to gently soften the speed of the air coming into the nose. This is to do the absolute opposite of overbreathing. I need you to under How do you do that? Take a really soft breath in through your nose, almost as your breath is in, imperceptible. And then have a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle breath out. And don't worry about doing it perfect because it's a little bit tricky. You're taking a really soft breath coming into your nose and a relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. And the whole emphasis here. It's, it's almost like holding your breath. Like it's really. Not to gentle. hold your breath yeah. though, but try and do it for two to three minutes. Now, I'd say that the air hunger that you had was a little bit too strong. Can we give it a go again? Yeah, yeah of okay. course. Yeah. So don't worry about how you're doing. No, for example, you're after taking up some mucus there. That's the first time that you've taken up. I can't remember who was Stephen and who was David. Sorry, Lars. Gray. Gray. David. David, Gray. David. David. Gray, Gray, Gray. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> David. David. That's the first time that you've taken up mucus since we've started talking. So how could that have happened? Well, when this is where we talk about asthma, that the airways are constricted and the volume of air that we breathe will influence the the narrowing of the airways. I had you breathe less air. This will cause carbon dioxide to increase in the blood, which will naturally help to open up the airways. But also, as you slow down your breathing, you're picking up nitric oxide from the nose into the lungs. That's also causing the airways to open up. Most people with asthma, for example, if I just look at that condition, they breathe fast and hard. That's feeding into their condition. It's not just that the individual with asthma. Okay, if you have asthma, you're feeling you're not getting enough air. You want to breathe faster and harder, but the faster and harder breathing is feeding back into the condition. So what we want to do is we want to change breathing patterns that breathing becomes light. It's not a good sign when a person runs out of air easy. So this is why we practice this exercise. This is targeting the biochemistry of breathing. You have one hand in your chest, one hand just above your navel. You're gently softening your breathing. Don't hold your breath. You're just taking a very soft breath in through your nose and a relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. And
1: is it more like trying to get four or five breaths a minute? You know, that type of, you know, the way
0: it's more about getting air hunger. That's the key. Okay, so to get comfortable with CO2 tolerance almost to build that up. And it will improve CO2 tolerance. So the whole emphasis here is that you're gently softening the speed of the breath coming in. You're having a really relaxed and slow gentle breath out and a very soft breath in, a relaxed, slow, gentle breath out. And the emphasis this is because, because you're breathing a little bit less air, carbon dioxide increases yeah, in the blood. Yeah, it feels blood. slightly
1: tingly, like a little bit kind of like I'm getting a little bit of a buzz off. You feel, like, this is
0: lovely. You will feel air hunger. Now, if you were to practice that for about three to four minutes, you will notice that the temperature of your fingers will increase. But also you will notice that you've got increased watery saliva in the mouth. Now, long term, when you practice this, this is what we use to downregulate. So when we practice this, then long term, so our breathing becomes lighter. Meaning, like kind
1: of relax and bring us down
0: into kind of yes. a
1: place of contentment almost.
0: Yes, but it's also, say for example, people with insomnia, just to give you an example. Um, So 30% of adults have insomnia and it affects more of females than men and 10% have a chronic insomnia. So you can have insomnia, you you can have difficulty falling asleep or you wake up at say three or four o'clock in the morning and you're just lying there. You're half asleep and you're half awake. We use this exercise to prepare, to activate the rest and digest response before sleep because... Saliva in the mouth is a very good indicator. You know, you're talking about the saber-tooth tiger. Your mouth is going to go absolutely dry during that time. You're not going to be eating food. In order to eat food, the body prepares more saliva. So when we can activate the rest and digest response, we know that we are activating it by virtue of the saliva in the mouth. So that's why they say that, what,
1: like you should only eat your food when you're relaxed, because when you're relaxed, therefore you've got more saliva, more digestive. Your response. body is
0: ready for. it Whereas if you're stressed, dry mouth. Yes. Your body, the last thing, the last thing your body wants is food when we are stressed. But I think that so many people are stressed and they don't even, they're not aware of it because our education system in some ways have really trained us how to be thinking and to be analytical. And we've put all of this emphasis on the thinking mind, but that we've lost to connect with the body that we're not in tune of when we are getting stressed and even just to pay attention on your breathing, to get your attention out of the head, but even to go beyond this. Because when you do, for example, a very light and slow breathing, you're increasing blood flow to the brain. This is helping to calm the brain. It calms the central nervous system. And this is known since 1924. And it also reduces nerve cell excitability. Now, new paradigms coming nerve out sucks, in mental health. excitability, I've never heard of that. It in so school, cool, though. We have... Each I l- love
1: when my nerves are excited. <laughs> I love it. No, you don't.
0: When, <laughs> what it is, when really. your brain cells are all over the place and firing electrical signals that are random, it's going to generate a little bit of a stress response. It can contribute to epilepsy with some people, panic disorder. So we have 81 billion nerve cells in the brain and they are communicating. Each nerve cell, I think, is communicating with about 15,000 other nerve cells. So you've got all of this activity going on in the brain. And our breathing and carbon dioxide is influencing the activity of the nerve cell, neuronal excitability. When you breathe slow, you have a calming effect because of the increased blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. If you hyperventilate, so for example, there's a very popular breathing technique, the Wim Hof method yep. at the moment. And so many people will be practicing. It's all about upregulation. Yep. You know, there's a few points it's that I would like holes. to make.
1: And, and so upregulate means kind of bringing yourself adrenaline to excited almost. adrenaline where you're more like charged up, you're ready yes. for a fight a or, stress or a war match or some sort of...
0: Yeah, so the theory behind it <coughs> would be that like we've been doing breath holds for a long, long time as well. We didn't have hyperventilation beforehand, but there's two ways to stress the body. Now, first of all, I'll come back to the relaxation. There's a few ways to activate the body's relaxation response. One is the light breathing, under breathing that we did earlier on. Another is slow breathing. And slow breathe with silent breathing. And especially when you slow down the respiratory rate to six breaths per minute, in between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute. So six breaths is a good average. That would be breathing in for five seconds and breathing out for five seconds. And then low breathing. And I use the acronym LSD. Light is about breathing from a biochemical dimension. Light is in sound. It's not like... (laughs) Exactly. more like it's it's almost that when your breathing is light it should be undetectable yeah and if you were to look at ancient traditions that there are sayings that your breathing should be so smooth that the fine hairs within the nostrils do not move well, I remember oh, when my kids were I really
1: feel. little you know when they're little babies and you're yes. going, are they still a lot you know you're like you, you are stressing you don't know if they're breathing or not because it's just so, so- Subtle yes. and
0: well, soft. that is really what you want in a baby. You don't want to hear any baby breathing during sleep, because if you hear their breathing during sleep, it's a sign that there's resistance to their breathing. Mm. And that's going to take them out of that slow wave sleep. And remember earlier on, we talked mm. about development brain of the development brain. And exactly. Yeah. So coming back to this. Nose breathing, light breathing, slow breathing, and deep breathing. And when I talk about deep breathing, I'm talking about just movement or recruitment of the diaphragm. This is LSD, low, sorry, light, light, slow, deep, deep. soft, soft and deep. Yes, light, no, even light, slow, slow. is when you're focusing on reducing the respiratory rate. So 4 to 6 breaths per minute, approximately. 4.5 to 6, 6, and it's not that you have to breathe (laughs) like that 24 hours a day, but you're doing it for, say, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, you know, because even when you do breathing exercises, the benefits of a carry on be a beyond the breathing exercise. Like I will do formal breathing exercises some days and there's days that I don't do them. But if I go for a walk, I don't want to go for a walk with my attention stuck in my head. I don't want to be living and thought all the time because when you're in that critical thinking mode, you're more likely to be stressed. And even just having that connection with the breath that you're taking your attention out of your mind onto your breathing but you're actively slowing down your breathing and changing your physiology like this is going beyond mindfulness mindfulness is not going to work for the very person who needs it and I'll tell you this why I'll tell you why because when you're in a state of emotional turmoil or if you have a mind that is so agitated the last thing that you want to do is to amplify those thinking that thinking instead what I want to do when if somebody has anxiety I want to give them simple tools that they can change their physiology and calm their physiology and then have focus on the breath, have focus on the body, have focus on the mind, bring your attention into the present moment that you're fully absorbed in what you're doing. So that's the relaxation part of it. The stress part of it is anytime that you want to stress the body, breathe fast and hard. Because have to. Exactly. So when you breathe fast and hard, you're stressing the body. Or do a long breath hold that you lower your blood oxygen saturation. That's a stressor. Now, the reason that I think it's very important to differentiate this. Now, the the reason that people stress as well, the premise behind this is that you're forcing your body to make adaptations. So you're stressing your body to make adaptations that are beneficial in terms of your immune system being better able to cope. So that's the premise behind it and the thinking behind it. However... I have made plenty of mistakes with breathing. I put one guy into accident in an emergency with panic disorder. I've had people coming in with chronic fatigue syndrome. I gave them breathing exercises with the best of intentions. I totally floored them. The next day, they wouldn't come back near me again. So I have made plenty of mistakes. And I re- the only reason that I'm saying this is there are breathing exercises that will suit some people but won't suit everybody else. And I also believe that I don't think it's a good thing to have people, a whole millions of people using stressor exercises when that's not what they need. And what are the benefits? Because
1: in other way, like it is hugely popular. And like when you say breathing people, oh, Wim off, Iceman. Yeah, great, brilliant. Oh, I do is breathing. And like, what are the benefits from it? Because it wouldn't be mass popular. Like it makes people feel good because it, like it, I don't know what it does, but it seems like it releases energy and makes people feel brighter and lighter. It's a release of emotions
0: and it's a reset. You know, say, for example, if you have trauma and, you know, there's the saying is that the body keeps the score. So every experience, every experience that we've had throughout our life, especially a negative experience, is stored in the body. So when you hyperventilate or when you do that stress response, the theory behind it is that the body is releasing this pent up, you know, trauma, Pent up stress. Now the downside to it. Well, I would put this in instead. If you want to stress your body, always think of recovery. Mm. You know, don't just stress. It's not just about stressing. And also, if I had a client who come in, because we do some hyperventilation, we do breath holding as well, and we use pulse oximeters. We use it with athletes. You know, we have them do sprinting. 40-meter sprints with breath held after an exhalation, dropping their blood oxygen saturation. And we would do a 30-second rest in the departure. You know, we would do about five reps. And that's a stressor exercise to force the body to make adaptations, including improved buffering capacity to delay lactic acid and fatigue. So we can do that with breathing. But if you are into stressing your body and mind, it's very important to consider activating the body's relaxation response. Just don't focus on one. Which is the slow, exactly 4.5 to 6 breaths a minute. On the
1: topic of like elite athletes, like, you know, like we've, we obviously have got into your stuff and have been nasal breathing for the last number of, I'd say it's six months we've been much more aware of it than usual and when we're not chatting, running we're trying to nasal breathe and mm. sometimes we're great at it and other times we're crap at it and then even cycling down here today you know the pair of us as usual we had a race and, <laughs> and of need course we have a race need but to Dave race. took the lead and then I overtook him and then the race you, was on you usually started but uh, <laughs> it was you no, um, I didn't but, uh, so, and then you end up you know when you're going hell for leather you end up breathing through your mouth and I was aware trying yes. to breathe through my nose and yeah. like, I had your your voice in my head going you you know, when you reach your your maximum output, even try to breathe through your nose then and out through your mouth. And I was trying to do it and it's kind of hard or whatever. And I wondered like in terms of athletic performance, like how I understand it, you nasal breathe, it releases nitric oxide. So therefore improves oxygen reaching your cells. You're going to perform better. I don't exactly understand science. I know nasal breathing better in general and for sporting performance. And I wonder if you could talk about like athletic performance and elite athletes or performance for people anyone listening because i'm sure people run who are listening and they might go nasal breathing when you run what does like you know how do i can i talk from my nose how does this work
0: yeah um when you breathe through your nose you, you've got so many advantages with doing physical exercise with your mouth closed versus with your mouth open earlier on i said that the mouth has absolutely no function other than eating it's a hole yeah <laughs> and it's a hole where by air can go straight down your throat when you do your physical exercise with your mouth closed carbon dioxide increases in the blood because it cannot leave the body as quick. And this generates a feeling of air hunger. So doing your physical exercise with the mouth closed initially is more difficult because you feel more suffocated. You feel more breathless. But here you're adding an extra load onto the body to change it. Because what you're looking to do is you're exposing your body to increased carbon dioxide during physical exercise with the idea being that your body then will be able to tolerate higher levels of carbon dioxide in the blood. When your body tolerates higher levels of carbon dioxide in the blood, you will have reduced breathlessness during physical exercise. So carbon dioxide is the primary stimulus to breathe. If you go and do a physical exercise, your muscles start producing more carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide is a byproduct from our metabolism. If you have a strong sensitivity to the accumulation of carbon dioxide in the blood, your breathing is fast and hard. So here you have an athlete, whether a recreational or an elite athlete, they can have disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise, not because of poor condition, but because of poor breathing patterns. And it may be due to a high stress load or trauma that they've had in their life, which has caused them to have an increased chemosensitivity sensitivity to carbon dioxide, which in turn translates into disproportionate breathlessness during physical exercise. So the first thing I'll say is, it's not that we expect everybody, regardless of the intensity of exercise to nose breathe. No, no, we have to be realistic. Low to, <clears throat> low to moderate intensity, have your mouth closed. Breathe in and out through your nose. At some point when the air hunger gets too strong, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth to get rid of carbon dioxide. And then if the air hunger, if you're increasing the intensity of your exercise and the air hunger gets stronger again, breathe mouth, mouth. So there's a time to nose breathe, especially during the warm up and during low intensity exercise. What's the benefit of it? When you breathe through your nose, you're protecting your dental health. Runners can have bad teeth. It's very common. And the the number of dental cavities and poor dental health can be related to the length of time that the individual runs. So nose breathing protects your gums, it protects your teeth, it protects your upper airways, it protects your lower airways. 20 to 50% of people who run have exercise-induced bronchoconstriction. So you can help to reduce the risk of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction by breathing in and out through the nose. Your nose has a better recruitment of the diaphragm from breathing muscle. If you were to look at your chest and breathe through your mouth, you will typically see that your mouth breathing is activating the upper chest. The diaphragm from breathing muscle provides stabilization of the spine. Functional breathing and functional movement go together. Perfect. 50% of people with lower back pain have dysfunctional oh, okay. breathing percent
1: wow. so, so back pain being linked to how you breathe it can
0: be linked with how you breathe
1: because even, even I've noticed through like starting to run and nasal breathe it's almost like you have to breathe deeper to kind of deal with your air hunger and it's like it you're actually forced to use the lower part of your lungs which which you wouldn't do if I was but mouth breathing some
0: people won't you know some people if they have poor breathing during every day how you breathe during physical exercise will be influenced by how you breathe every day like for example, I could look at somebody over here and I could be hearing their breathing and they have a fast respiratory rate. And this is how they breathe during rest. That individual, when they do physical exercise, are going to have disproportionate breathlessness. It's inefficient and it's uneconomical. But the other thing about nose breathing is that when you breathe with resistance, you're adding an extra load to train this breathing muscle, the diaphragm. The diaphragm can be prone to fatigue. And if the <coughs> diaphragm gets tired, blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm and the exercise will have to cease. Now, when we breathe through our nose during physical exercise, there is higher carbon dioxide in the blood. But think of the Bohr effect, that as carbon dioxide in the blood increases, blood pH drops, hemoglobin releases oxygen more readily to the working muscles. Your working muscles are better oxygenated with nose breathing versus mouth breathing. Now, scientists are starting to research this field now. There was a very brilliant paper that was written And pretty much it includes the techniques that we've been practicing for 20 years. Now the sports scientists are waking up. One is George Dahlem, professor in the United States, I think, in Evansville University. He got 10 recreational athletes. He had them breathe through their nose exclusively for six months. Now, you don't have to be breathing through your nose for six months to get the benefits. Five or six weeks, the air hunger diminishes because your body starts making adaptations. So he had them breathe, recreational athletes breathe through their nose for six months. At the end of six months, he tested them. They attained the same intensity workout with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, but with 22% less ventilation. So you can think of 22% less ventilation. You can do your physical exercise to the same work rate and intensity, 22% less ventilation. That's one factor. And that's because your body has acclimatized to be able to cope better with the increase of carbon dioxide in the blood, but also the fraction of expired oxygen was less with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. In other words, with nose breathing, your body uses oxygen better than with mouth breathing.
1: So it's almost like your car can function with 22% less petrol. Or, yeah, or Yes. Or electricity if you've got an electric car. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so essentially when I think about it, like so we breathe, as we said, approximately 25,000 times a day. 15 to 50% of us breathe through our mouths. A lot of us do it completely subconsciously. We're not aware of it. Um, and ideally, we're breathing slow, soft, LSD, long light, LSD. slow, deep. Light, slow, and deep breathing because that has us in the rest and restore state. So therefore, our brain functions better. We've got a better carbon dioxide tolerance and our body functions better. You know, it's not in this state of stress and
0: Like, I don't want to over exaggerate or over make claims, you know, and I don't want to make say that this is the cure all or anything like that. But I will say this. Respiration and how we breathe influences all of the major functions. And if I look at the groups of people that I work with most in terms of health capacity, aside for sports and mental performance. I work with 30 percent of people have respiratory issues, including long COVID. People with asthma, bronchitis, bronchiectasis, etc. 30% of people come in with mental health issues, panic disorder, anxiety. 30% of people with insomnia, snoring, and obstructive sleep apnea. Then we have the whole performance aspect here. And that's mental health and physical performance. And even accessing flow states. You know, first of all, flow state has been, of course, popularized by the Hungarian writer, who I can never, of course, pronounce his name, Mikhail... Um, but he wrote a book and I think it's it's Flow I think is the name of the book Flow state is when your attention is fully absorbed in what you're doing that there's no differentiation between you and the task at hand mm. it's a very coveted state yeah everyone's looking to get, hang out there as much as possible Well, you can produce it and genuinely and I will say that with something that I don't know how it happened over time any time that I want to access it you can access it almost like because and yes, because in order to access flow state, you need to have concentration. And concentration is your ability to hold your attention on that one thing. But in order to have concentration, you need to have good quality sleep, but you also have a balanced physiology. Now, as I said, when I left school at 14, I had neither. I had poor sleep and I had dreadful concentration. You know it and we know it that if we wake up, Every now and again, everybody wakes up with a poor night's sleep. You know, you might have a disruption or whatever. And you just feel that you're not on full cylinders that day. You're not going to access flow states. So when people talk about flow states, they don't necessarily give the conditions of how we can access that. We need to have an ability to change our physiology. And the more you tap into your breathing and get balance in the autonomic nervous system. Like when we think of the mind or the brain or the head, If we think of where do you think, where do you place your attention when you're thinking? Typically, you will place your attention in the front of the head. Unless you're an octopus. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Because then it'll be in your eight limbs. (laughs) If you can bring your attention to the center or even to the back of the head, you automatically take your attention away from the thinking mind. And you're able to place your attention there, which gives you a better ability then to bring your attention fully into what you're doing. Wow. And it comes back to in the
1: back part of our brain that's more kind of our reptilian brain that's more where it's like our autonomic functioning happens.
0: So the theory behind it is there's a, an individual called Dr. Mark Atkinson and we had him give us a talk in terms of the oxygen advantage instructors. And I was listening to his podcast recently enough in the sauna so that's how it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> but I asked him because I was always placing my attention at the back of my head, holding my attention there. And I found that it would quieten the mind. And he said, well, he said, the back of the head is intuition. So when you hold your attention in the back of the head, you're more likely to be intuitive. Whereas if you have your attention in the center of the head, also it's helping to quieten the mind. But too often we have our attention to the front of the head, we're in thinking mode. So people talk, say, about present moment awareness. Like, for example, we had lunch at your restaurant and I had a beautiful salad put in front of me in order for me to appreciate that salad, I have to be able to see the food in front of me and I see the greens and the depth of the greens. In order to appreciate it, the sense of smell, because as I'm eating the food and I'm smelling the food, and also as I'm eating it, I'm tasting it and I'm getting the texture. But if I went in there living in my head, totally absorbed in thoughts as most people are, I'm not appreciating that food. So here's just even the smallest of an example that we can't experience life to where we want to experience it. If we spend all of our attention stuck in our head. Now, education is teaching us how to think, but it is not teaching us how to stop thinking. Education is teaching us how to analyze and to decipher and to break information into tiny pieces. And it's almost giving us the tools to live in our head. But if we live in our head, we miss out on everything that life has to offer, because we're not connecting with life. Now, there's nothing left of field about this. You know, sometimes I feel, you know, when breathing, breathing has been so let down, been so taught incorrectly, but all of the connotations and the paraphernalia with it, you don't need the beads, you don't need the robes, you don't need the leather sandals, you don't need any of this stuff. Breathing should be right down the middle for people, for every person, for the child, for the teenager, for the adult. Because if we want to really experience life, and if somebody said to me, What is the biggest thing that this has granted to you on a personal basis? I've been happier. That's the biggest thing. And that's all we want as human beings. We want to get to that space. Society has let us down. The education system is archaic and it's falling far short of the mark. Religion, the crux of religion was to bring a stillness to the mind, but that message got lost. Now there's a void. And what's more, social media and the degree of time that people and youngsters are spending on social media, they are practicing distraction all day long. They will have lost the capacity then to hold their attention when they want to hold upon it. They will be more likely to live in their heads and they will be less likely to experience life. So they will miss a lot. So that's unfortunate.
1: That's a lovely point that it makes you happier. Yes, lovely simple and it kind of encompasses everything like how we breathe is how we feel and how we turn up in the world and I think what you just said there about the ability to access flow state you know we tend to think of ourselves as isolation society kind of celebrates the individual but ultimately we're we're fully interdependent on life and ultimately uh, I always like that you say we're the dance not the dancer you know life tends to celebrate that we're the dancer and we're we're fully in charge but ultimately we're kind of without going a bit too philosophical it's like we're part of the flow of life and i think flow state is when we're not caught up in ego it's just life is happening yes and we're just in the flow and we're being brought to where we're meant to be and that's the beautiful state that we all want to be yeah. And to be in that state we have to be connected and present and be in our body and less in our little our
0: little logical egoic brain yeah totally Stephen. and i would also say mm-hmm. that when you get a group of individuals and when they themselves have a quietness of the mind and when they are connected and more centered or in present moment awareness, it lifts it for everybody. We don't just communicate with each other via the sounds that we're making. We also have another connectedness there. And even though science doesn't necessarily know that what it is, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We can't rely that science, science there's so much that science doesn't know, mm. but that doesn't mean the that it's not out there. I love that.
1: It's well, even really the they say in communication, you know, what is it? Five percent is what you say, and ninety-five percent mm. is the body language yes. of ooh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got my off. topic. great fun, Patrick. You're <laughs> really amazing. I genuinely could sit here you're all day. You're tapping listen. into loads of really deep things, like you know, breathing sounds. Like, oh, I just breathe. Like, you know, okay, I just breathe through my nose. But you've managed to link it to so many different aspects of life and well, so many aspects, so many a solution and a means to cope with many of the challenges
0: of modern you've day, written how many books yes. like tw- nine books oh, Nine. nine. Book. okay yeah there's
1: yeah. only like was four lucky. on your website or something you're only kind of oh, three or four we have... were
0: so bad at marketing I have to say like we were doing totally everything organic you know back in the day 2002 it would have been the worst business possible that you would ever think of a business because <laughs> nobody wanted to know about breathing but it happened you know and that's it just really 20 happened years yeah. later, you're... 20 years later now we can't you're keep on up the page sh- back by well, now we have the other challenge that it's gone too busy, you know. Um, but I have to be thankful for that. Like Cause, it has all come into place. Because you were saying like
1: so much, you you spend so much of your time traveling around yes. the world now and actually, you know, giving talks and inspiring people and training people up and most of your businesses all over the world with elite athletes and with sick people and all sorts of things. Which and is that's so incredible, incredible. Yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. While also living in Moral, in, in, in Hills. Yes. Yeah.
0: In, well, I live in a, a, we bought a cottage in 2005, a stone cottage. We extended it. It's absolutely in the middle of nowhere and it's a tremendous place to be because it's, it's total solace. And I think it's very important as well to be able to connect to the environment that we're in, you know, and to get out of the cities and even just to walk on grass, to do the very simple things. And it is all about, you know, enjoying, enjoying the experiences. But uh, yeah, I'm thankful I'm off to Australia now in about eight days and then I have to give a training in Japan and then I come back and I give a training in Chicago and Jeez. then, and that's just July. So <laughs> you know, then there's August, and yeah, it's it's really good. So I'm wow, yeah, amazing. Um, Jeez, well, thanks for coming. I here. had a lot of good breaks along the way. Sometimes the universe helps you, and yeah. I'm sure you know the story yeah, too. It yeah, yeah. To yeah, helps you totally. too. And your yes. most
1: recent book? What's your most recent book? Is it the, the most novel, recent one? The
0: Atomic Focus. It's a beautiful yeah. looking book. And so, for anyone
1: who struggles with focus and finds it hard to read little words. There's lots of pictures in it. Yeah. And they I was drawn towards it. Yeah, I was too much more so than <laughs> the, 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 one with the cure. small print.
0: Well, I want to say kind of like with the, I got a great break and I'll tell you this story because I was talking to him there during the week, a guy called Douglas Abrams. Um, I got a call back in a via email actually. It was back in 2013. And a guy called Doug Abrams, and he said, Will you give, do a Skype course with me for breathing? And I said, Yes. And uh, I was doing the Skype course with him because I used to do one to ones with breathing back then. And I was talking to him and he said he was a book agent. And I said, oh, okay, you're a book agent, great. And he says, oh, yeah. he says, I'm a book agent with Richard Branson and with Nelson Mandela and I've done all of these books. Uh-huh. And I said, tremendous. I said, I have 60,000 words of a manuscript here. Will you have a look at it, you know? So I gave it to him and he came back and he says, geez, he says, no, he says, you have to rewrite the whole thing. And I says, the whole thing? He says, yeah, he says, I need you to rewrite that as if you're talking to some fella down the pub. So that's, I had to rewrite the whole thing. So that was the oxygen advantage. And he put it out there, and two of the biggest, big book. biggest publishers in the world, got into a bidding race in it. And it was—it's now been published into about sixteen different languages. That put us on the map. Now, how did he find me? He went into a local dental practice in California, and on the counter was the book "Close Your Mouth." You know, so sometimes chance happens. She's the and fact that your dentist is in California. <laughs> yeah. Paid
1: back? No, it was a, a different fold. dentist. Yeah. It was a different dentist. Yeah, you
0: know. And I was just thinking, like. These are the breaks that you need. Like, how do you go from just a very tiny unknown to something that, and you know, the work is important, but there's so much information. People have information overload. It's very difficult for them to decipher what's good versus what's not so good. So that was one major break. And um, yeah, and there's been many breaks. It's just amazing how things fall into place. So I would say to anybody, you know, if I was asked a question, if you, you're your old 20-year-old sense or 20-year-old you give self, to your 20-year-old I would self. say hang in there because it typically works out. And genuinely, if you're passionate about something, what first of all, I would say find out something that you are passionate about. It's so much easier to put your energy into that thing and to improve. And life does fall into place. And this isn't woo-woo. This is just, and many people you are a person, like... No, I don't like the whole left of field. I think they've made a mess of breathing. I, you know, I would take breathing out of, away from them. They've made like, a mess no, of breathing. No, lads, it. you've wrecked it. You've wrecked it, you've, yes. You've, no! Let's put this straight, But now <laughs> I, mean, eight. Eight. I can,
1: everything you said there, I really agree with and resonate with, kind of about just persist and sticking with it, having yes. faith. And the more you are in flow state, I think the more you're operating from... Without going too cliched, operating that operating there's kind of a trust in life. There's like faith. There's plenty totally. for everyone. Whereas totally. often when there's this idea that I need more, I don't have enough, you're often operating
0: from yes. fear, and often it that you miss you miss
1: the miracles because you're too busy in planning you your worried? day. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: would totally agree with you. It, there's something I think we do, the more we are in fear, we repel the very thing that we want to get. Yeah. And it's almost that You're quieting the mind and you're connecting with life and you're making yourself more accessible to attract it. Now, and this is not about the secret, you know, in terms of that book. (laughs) And the only reason I say this is you read the secret and they say, "Okay, you drive into a car park and you're thinking to yourself, there's going to be a car parking space available. No, no, that never has happened for me. So that, That's because that you don't believe it,
1: Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> you're not like embodying so, it.
0: So I think we have to be real here as well. But genuinely, in the, in the full picture, yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Beautiful. Thank Great you, Patrick. Chat.
1: You're amazing. For anyone who's listening and is totally inspired, where can they learn more?
0: We have a couple of websites. One for sports performance and mental performance is oxygenadvantage.com. And then for health, it's buteycoclinic.com. And we do have social media. I just of, of B-U-T-E-K-O. But just for yeah. anyone
1: who goes yes.
0: B-U-T-E-Y-K-O you know, clinic.com. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Thanks very much. It Amazing. was a pleasure. Thanks yeah, very really, much. It was
1: wonderful. What a hero. What a gentleman. This are two Patrick McCown fanboys here. Yes. And a deeply spiritual, man. That's what I found. Like I really found there was such Wisdom, really practical wisdom, and also that. a lovely childlike curiosity. Hanging out yeah. with Patrick there yeah, this afternoon, really like what a wonderful, gem. wonderful humans. Yeah. So uh, do check him out, and I think it's such a universal, basic thing that we do subconsciously, approximately twenty five thousand times, twenty five thousand times per day, and the small little micro adjustments of trying to change from mouth breathing to nose breather can have a massive transformative effect. If you want to learn more, Patrick has a great website. He's online courses. I've got some of his sleep tape, myotape, which is cool, which I do use. And he's got a huge range of books. So do check him out if you want to learn more about him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just want to say thanks, Mel, for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. And if you share this on social, we'll share it too. If you share it on in Instagram stories, we'll reshare it. Because I want to get this out to more finally, people. Finally, if you do want to improve nasal breathing and you do want to take your health to the next level, check out our book called The Veg Box. Brilliant. There Thanks, we go. Steve. Right. Bye. 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 bye, 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 bye. bye, bye, bye.